Okay, just coming up on 12 before the top of the hour, back on a Wednesday afternoon with vaccine researcher, family physician, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel for our weekly COVID update. Before the break, we were talking about the BA2 variant and the need for more people to get that booster shot, that third shot. Meanwhile, Dr. Gorfinkel, this week, Pfizer and Moderna, they have asked the uh, U.S. Federal Drug Administration to uh, actually uh, authorize a uh, fourth dose, a fourth shot. What more can you tell us about a uh, potential fourth shot or booster? Yeah, so it's a serious problem that, you know, the vaccines that we have, both Moderna and Pfizer, when they're given as two doses and possibly even three, that when it comes to mild disease, the immunity that it gives doesn't seem to be sticky enough. It drops over time. So enter this study. This is a J&J study. It's interesting. So Pfizer says, well, we need to give it. We need to give the Pfizer vaccine fourth dose to everyone over 65. Moderna says, hey, let's give it a booster shot to everyone, every single adult. So this is a fourth dose I'm talking about. And the problem is that immunity wanes. So that's the issue. So what's going to happen? J&J steps in now and says, hey, we've got a good vaccine, you know, and according to the study that looked at over 400,000 people, they found it was 76 percent effective at preventing infection and 81 percent effective at preventing hospitalization. And the key is, is that immunity seemed to last for six months. That's right. Yeah, this uh, they call the durability of the uh, vaccine, right? So is that telling us anything when it comes to different vaccines? Is the J&J vaccine starting to prove itself to be the better vaccine, more durable? Well, the problem is it always has to be complicated. The J&J vaccine was done at a time. They looked at data in which Delta was the predominant variant. Right. So we know that over time, you know, like Omicron is a different variant than Delta. So J&J's studies are all based on Delta. You know, so another thing is that it was also based on reimbursement data as opposed to following a whole bunch of patients. They didn't follow 400,000 patients. They looked back at medical records and billings to determine this. So it's a little more complicated than that. So it's hard to, sh- to compare Moderna and Pfizer to J&J's vaccine. That's the issue. Okay, uh, just back to Pfizer and Moderna for a quick second, asking for authorization for a fourth dose. I mean, if we're struggling, as we talked about before the break, to get third doses, booster shots into people, just how tough of a sell do you think it's going to be when it comes to the uh, need or the potential for a fourth dose in arms? Well, you know how we doctors are, kind of like certain investors. We look back to predict the future. If you figure less than half of Canadians have accepted a third dose, well, you do the math. How many Canadians are going to now accept a fourth dose? And that's the huge concern. The numbers are going to drop because people have not only pandemic fatigue, they have vaccine fatigue. Most Canadians don't even get one shot in a year, let alone three, question four, so really, that's part of why, you know, public health officials started saying, well, look, people have they're getting tired of it and we have to find that happy spot to make enough people happy. But if you look at the medical data, the medical data would say get a vaccine to make sure you're best protected that you can. Hopefully we'll see an Omnivax. Now, that has yet to be developed, but, you know, don't, don't kid yourself. At Moderna, Pfizer, they're working on an Omnivac, something that would actually prevent all variants. 
but we have yet to see that. So in the meantime, the best we can do is really try to go with what we do have, which is a booster shot. Whether that's three, who knows, maybe it will become four. It's not at this point. Right now in Ontario, it's only for people who are severely immunosuppressed, people who live in long-term care. Those are the people who qualify for that fourth dose. Yeah, does public health, do they need to start thinking about this and get some sort of campaign ready and uh, roll out uh, when it comes uh, to a fourth dose or the need thereof? Uh, who knows when it'll be sometime uh, later this year to really convince us all that, uh, you know, we need to keep uh, our COVID cases and numbers down and keep people out of the hospital uh, with uh, COVID that the, they really need to have that campaign ready to go, do you think? Well, I think that campaign is one piece of a much larger puzzle. So, yeah, we have to try to encourage people to get vaccinated. In fact, fourth doses have already gone into long-term care and chronic care because these are the individuals who actually are most threatened by death or hospitalization. So they're already on that. You know, but the mask part of it, you know, the vaccine passport, we're seeing, you know, key health things fall by the wayside and almost simultaneously. They're happening way too fast. We cannot gauge what the, you know, what's going to happen. And never mind BA2 enters. So there's a lot of moving parts to those. But, yeah, we do need campaigns, you know, to try to encourage people. Will that be enough? That's the question. Or will vaccine fatigue, pandemic fatigue be greater than our efforts are successful at trying to get all these moving parts to move successfully as one unit? All right. Meantime, we are learning more and more, of course, with each passing day about COVID and its effects, uh, things like uh, long COVID. And also uh, this study, could you tell us a little bit more, Dr. Gorfinkel, about this study that is indicating that uh, COVID infection actually is increasing uh, the risk of uh, people developing diabetes? Yeah, that's a very interesting study. This was an extremely well-constructed study you got to work pretty hard to get, get it published in a journal called Lancet. And what they did is looked at data from U.S. Veterans Affairs, and they looked at over 180,000 patients who tested positive to COVID and compared them to 4 million people who hadn't. This is all at the VA hospitals. And it's interesting. They were able to control for a whole bunch of things. They controlled for obesity, age, race, and age. You know, so all of this stuff which is quite incredible. And what did they find? That after somebody was diagnosed with COVID-19, they were 40%, 4-0, more likely to be diagnosed with diabetes. This is type 2 diabetes, not type 1. But we know COVID-19 is a multi-system disease. But to think about a 40% increased risk of diabetes, well, diabetes, that's a, that's a heart attack equivalent medically. Like that, that's a big, powerful gun. So when somebody becomes diabetic, that doesn't mean just monitoring sugars. That means monitoring heart risk. That means monitoring for depression. That means dietary exercise change, huge numbers of, you know, healthcare workers involved. So this is a big strain financially on the system. It's a big strain psychologically on the individual. You know, and there's lots of theories. Now, why would it give you an increased risk? Why would COVID-19 do that? Increase the risk of diabetes by 40%, independent of your age, independent of your weight, independent of whether you're black or white. Why would it do that? 
well, there are theories, but we don't know exactly why. Mm-hmm. Maybe because of inflammation or lowered insulin sensitivity. Well, it goes without saying some uh, really concerning uh, data as we continue to learn more and more about COVID and its uh, effects. Dr. Gorfinkel, we are out of time for another week, but uh, really appreciate it as always. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the week, and we will talk again next Wednesday. Sounds like a plan. Many thanks. All right. Vaccine researcher, family physician, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. Stay with us. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.